Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you, by the way. I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets. And what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country. And we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we're, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. Hey guys, just a quick reminder that if you have not signed up for the Short-Term Shop Summer Summit, that is happening Friday, June 17th at noon Eastern. It is completely free and we will have a panel of experts that you can ask all of your short-term rental questions from state of the market to how to run a short-term rental to how to find a short-term rental. Bring all of your questions because we will have the experts there to answer them for you. If you haven't signed up yet, you can sign up at STS, as in short-term shop, summersummit.com. So that's stssummersummit.com, Friday, June 17th at noon East. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Short-Term Show. Today, we have Siobhan Cooney. She is a short-term rental investor and agent in Pennsylvania. How's it going, Siobhan? Hey, Avery. It's so nice to see you and see your face. It's been a while. <laughs> I know, I know. Like several years, I think, for in person. <laughs> several long pandemic years. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, tell us, uh, I know about you, but tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into real estate investing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia um, in what I think was kind of a fairly middle class suburban lifestyle. Um, I did pretty well in school. I ended up taking what I call kind of like the academic track in life. Um, I went to college. I got a master's degree. I got a PhD. Um, these were all in social science fields. Um, and I worked in research and consulting for about 11 years, first working for other people and eventually working for myself. So for about four years, I had... Um, my own consulting company. And then 
several years back, um, let's say 2019, um, I ran into some health problems and decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. I ended up um, taking about six months off of working. And then I decided I wanted to do something a little different. And real estate seemed like a great choice for me, um, you know, because I had already been to school for a long time. So I didn't really want to go back. Um, and I also really enjoyed working for myself. So I knew that I didn't want to go back into like a nine to five where I had to work for someone else and on their schedule. And um, so I had always listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, and one day I was listening to Real Estate Rockstars with Pat Hyman, which you may be familiar with. It's a pretty popular real estate podcast. Um, and I realized like sort of the things they were talking about were a lot like what I was doing already in my consulting work. It just was applying it to real estate. So like helping clients make decisions and adding value whenever possible to whatever their goals were and trying to get them there. Um, and then I think somehow I also found the Bigger Pockets podcast, which then led me to those forums, which then led me to you. And um, we ended up early in 2020 before COVID buying um, the duplex cabin in the Smokies, the famous duplex <laughs> that only exists in maybe like one or two duplexes. So um and that's kind of like the golden unicorn of my portfolio, in my opinion, because it was bought at pre-COVID prices and has just like performed um, really, really well for us. So I that kind of like got me hooked on real estate investing. Um, I guess before that, I had always thought of it as like being a landlord, as you say. Um, and I had accidentally been a landlord when I bought something in 2005. Um, a condo in Madison, Wisconsin, and then couldn't sell it later. So I ended up renting it for a really long time. And I just didn't like really love that experience. You know, it kind of like the cash flow wasn't really there. I just was breaking even every year. Um, but I was holding on to it. So I didn't have to take a huge loss when I sold it. I did eventually sell it um, just to be done with it, because it just wasn't interesting to me anymore. But short term rentals have been great for me. And I think it's because it's more, it's a lot more fun than being a landlord. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Every The pictures are prettier. Uh, <laughs> the guests, if you don't like them, they're gone in a few days. Yes, <laughs> like that tenants, is true. Which tend to hang around. So that yeah, is so true. it's been really fun for me. Awesome. Awesome. So let's dive into that portfolio real quick. So what is in your portfolio currently? Right. So I have the duplex um, in the Smokies. That was my first buy. I rent that out either one side or both sides at the same time, um, which is something that you can do depending on your um, channel manager and what you have managing um, across Airbnb and VRBO and direct booking sites if you have it. Um, <clears throat> I went on to buy a place in Scottsdale, which I have since sold. So, um, late in 2020, I convinced my husband to sell a long-term rental that he had also been hanging on to, um, that he had bought at the height of the market in 2005. And it wasn't, you know, like really generating a lot of cash flow. So I, I said, you know, I think we should sell this and put it um, do a 1031 into a short-term rental. And um, 
you know, he said, well, I want to wait until the end of the school year because the current tenant and her daughter had been in there for a long time. And he kind of like didn't want to disrupt their school year. So, um, but what ended up happening was she ended up moving out early. So I sort of like swung right into trying to get that ready to go on the market. Um, I sold it and then, you know, kind of made like a rookie mistake and that I didn't have the replacement property already lined up. So what I should have done first, as you know, <laughs> is find that replacement property and get it under contract and then sell the first property and have that closed before I closed on the replacement property. Um, but, you know, being somewhat new to real estate at the time, I didn't realize like what was happening to the market and the Smokies. And I was just astounded by how the prices had taken off there. So I think I had like a bit of sticker shock when I um, went to Derek and said like, hey, I want to buy something because, you know, it was so easy the first time that I bought it. <laughs> it was going to be easy again. And it wasn't. Um, I, I think we did make some offers and we were beat out every single time. Um, because I had that time crunch with the 1031, I ended up buying in Scottsdale, which I kind of figured was not going to cash flow quite as well. Um, but I also, you know, the opportunity presented itself, it was almost a full renovation. Um, and I knew at that time, or, you know, I had sort of like a gut feeling that that market was going to appreciate, um, which is what ended up happening. But this was, you know, during COVID and people were moving to like Arizona, Colorado, Idaho. Um, California was literally on fire at the time. I just felt like people were going to move to Phoenix Metro. So I bought this house. Um, it did okay on rental. I made it very, very like family friendly, which is probably not the perfect setup for Scottsdale, but it did it did pretty well. Um, we also used it a bit as a second home and um, eventually decided to sell that one because although it wasn't like really killing it on the cash flow, I couldn't deny that it had appreciated substantially in the year that I owned it. So um, I only owned that one for about 14 months. And then I did a 1031 into Broken Bow, Oklahoma, which I just closed on a couple of days ago. And in addition to that, I also have a place in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is about 90 minutes from me. Um, that I bought last October, so about five or six months ago now. Um, it's been getting some fixing. Um, it's a really older home with a lot of old home problems and getting the short-term rental license in that city has definitely been like more hoops to jump through than I bargained for. So I'm currently starting that up as a midterm rental and then I'm going to switch it to short-term rental as soon as I have that license. So, um, so right now it's, I have two that are kind of like about to come on as short-term rentals. Um, I have the one in Pigeon Forge. And then finally, I have a new build that's going up outside of Branson, Missouri. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about that duplex listing first, because I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about how to handle a, a two-unit short-term rental. So your duplex, it is a cabin duplex, right? It's not just like a, a, a house that could be anywhere, right? Right. It looks like a straight up cabin. It just has two front doors to it. And 
if you didn't know it was a duplex, I'm not sure that you would necessarily know by looking at it. Gotcha. So when you're listing that, do you have three separate listings? So do you have uh, one listing for each side and then one listing where you can rent both at one time? And if so, how does that work? That's correct. So I use Guesty right now, which used to be your porter. Um, I'm currently making the change to owner res. But in both Guesty and owner res, you have the ability to set up three listings and nest the two of them in the larger one. So what happens is if people book one or other sides, then it blocks off the calendar for the whole duplex. Um, <clears throat> and if they if they book the duplex, then it blocks off both sides. So basically the calendar knows what's going on. Like it knows, it kind of treats them, I think, as like individual rooms within a house. Um, but you're able to set it up so that the calendars block appropriately. It's not like I'm doing anything behind the scenes. The, the website is doing it all for me. Gotcha. And do you get mostly the individual side bookings or do you get quite a few booking the whole thing? Cause you can't, access each side from the other side inside the units, right? You have to go outside because there's a firewall. Right. There is a wall there. And I will say I get most of the bookings for the individual sides um, because it's only two bedroom, two bath on each side. You know, I tend to get very, very high occupancy rate for that. But I have um, had quite a few people stay there, you know, for like family reunions or something or two families traveling together where they want to be side by side, but I did not always have it set up this way. So I think that the duplex, like renting the whole duplex, I've only had up for maybe like six months or so. And before that, I only had the individual sides because I could never figure out like how to work the calendars um, until eventually I did figure it out in Guesty. But I don't have as much experience running out the whole duplex. Um, but I do try to be clear you know, to people about like what it is, like it's two individual units, there is no, you're right, there is no connection. But at the same time, you get two hot tubs, two kitchens, two living rooms. So there's some separation there for people who want it. Um, but I will say pricing wise, it books a lot like a four bedroom. Okay. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about Scottsdale for a minute, because you and I had a conversation not that long ago, and I was thinking about Scottsdale or kicking around that idea. And you mentioned that you don't, you didn't particularly recommend Scottsdale to me. And I, I would like to expand on that here. So um, can you talk about a little bit of the differences in a market like Scottsdale and a market like Pigeon Forge and the, the problems, obstacles that you ran into there? Yeah, the seasonality, I think, is much different. Um, Scottsdale tends to book really well the first quarter of the year um, and then not so much over the summer. And um, we definitely had some really slow months, but then, you know, getting really, really high prices January through March. So the timing on those is a little different, which for someone who doesn't want to have all of their guests coming in, you know, in the summer, um, that might be a good idea. Scottsdale, I find to be a little bit of a tricky place regulation wise. Um, and when I bought it, you know, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a long term hold for me. It didn't end up that way. Um, right now, I'm looking to buy things that I think are a little bit safer investments long term so that I don't have to sell them at some point. If some regulations change, I don't know if they're going to change in Scottsdale or not. But I will say it always made me like a little bit nervous that 
there was no like real zoning for short-term rental versus primary residence. So you have people on the same streets, you know, primary residence, STR, primary residence, STR. And that like can create some tension that always made me like a little bit nervous about how that was going to go. Um, I also think Scottsdale, you know, the, the homes that do really, really the best there, people put a ton of money into getting them to that state and the prices there have really skyrocketed. Um, because again, people are not buying there just for short-term rental. They're also buying there to live or just to own a second home. So I don't think that the cash flow there um, is necessarily, you know, amazing right now. You can do okay, but I think that, you know, in the in Pigeon Forge, you can have sort of like a basic cabin with basic furnishings and like it's gonna rent. I mean, because the just the people coming there, there's so many people coming there, it's gonna rent. Um, it's a little bit trickier in Scottsdale. I think the demographic going there really likes things. Um, to be pretty, you know, to be like Instagram worthy. It's a bit of a younger crowd. Um, but in my experience, they also have higher expectations for their stay. And for that reason, I actually had a property manager in Scottsdale, which I don't have any other place, but I felt like I needed that in that particular location. So for the people who, you know, you're working with at the short term shop, I'm not sure if Scottsdale is you know, necessarily a natural choice. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt initially, although I can, I can always be convinced otherwise, um, if things make sense. Right. So you're saying what I'm hearing you say, and tell me if this is incorrect, but summarizing, it's a little bit easier in the markets that you're in so far in your experience that are more family oriented than the ones that are like more bachelor, bachelorette party oriented, that, that young adult crowd is typically more difficult to please than the family crowd? I, I think that, you know, the place that I bought in Scottsdale seemed like a really nice place when I bought it. But I think that in Scottsdale, what I bought is actually something that would be kind of more like average um, in Scottsdale, just because it is kind of like a luxury market. It kind of reminds me of Palm Springs in that way. And I think that the people that coming there tend to have a bit more money um, and they want something that is super nice. Um, I find that the guests in Pigeon Forge are actually more laid back. And I know some people are going to be surprised to hear me say that, but I have really, really easy guests in Pigeon Forge. And I had some really, really difficult ones in Scottsdale. Okay. Yes, I the bachelorette party thing. I mean, if you can like, hit that nail in the head, you could probably make a ton of money in Scottsdale. Um, but it is a lot of work. And, you know, it's also like, do you if you were going to use it sometimes as a second home, would you want to have a second home that was also a bachelorette party pad? <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So, so maybe like the new the new build, taller, skinny, not necessarily kid friendly properties might work a little bit better than just like an average, you know, ranch home then. Right, right. I think so anything that's sort of like updated, more modern is always going to book better. That's regardless of where you are. But for whatever reason, sort of like that kitschy stuff still does really well on Pigeon Forge, you know, with like the bear shower curtain or whatever, like that would never fly in, in Scottsdale. Yeah. yeah the bears and <laughs> the bears. Monkeys, it's like so um, many bears. I hate the bears and the moose, <laughs> the moose decor. It's like, there's not even moose 
in Eastern Tennessee. And uh, one of the like, one thing that stands out in my mind when we first bought in the Smokies is uh, a toilet paper roll broke when we were going to, when we were like getting something ready. And so Luke, my husband went to the store to get a new toilet paper roll. And I was expecting just a regular Chrome, you know, whatever. And he came back with a bear shaped toilet paper roll where you're pulling the toilet paper out of the bear's butt. <laughs> and I was like, no, I, I cringe even thinking about it. Uh, I was like, we are not putting that in here. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, everything's bears. And I'm like, oh my God. So yeah, I've, I've about had enough with the bears myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So switching gears a little bit, uh, broken bow. So I know you don't have any rental history or anything like that to share, but how'd you land there? How'd you choose that market for your next one? Yeah, I've been to Broken Bow a couple of times just to check it out. Um, and starting last year and then when I got this place under contract, I went for the inspection. You know, I think Broken Bow reminds me a little bit of Pigeon Forge, although much, much smaller. Um, it's definitely a drive to regional market, but Broken Bow is serving the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which in my mind, you know, is huge. I mean, it, if you fly into Dallas and then drive to Broken Bow, just sort of like the urban sprawl and the amount of people that live in that metro area is huge. Um, it's also a really, it's just a really pretty place. I mean, people go there to like hike and fish. And in the summer, it's definitely warm enough to swim. I do think it has potential to grow quite a bit because they seem to be adding more amenities all the time. Like if you go there now, you're going to think like, this is a really small place. Like there's not even a whole lot here, but I think that it's definitely, it's definitely catching on as a place to go. And um, I think that it will likely appreciate. I also think that you know, there, there's talk of building a casino there. Um, and overall, I think it'll do really well, but also the chance of regulation, I think in that area, anytime is just really low. Like, I think I could hold on to that for 30 years and never see a single regulation in Broken Bow. I mean, as far as I know, they don't even have like building codes right now. So you have to be really careful if you're doing a new build about which builder you choose. Um, but I don't think anything will happen with the regulations like some other markets I was looking at where it seems like a little bit more iffy whether something might change at some point. I don't think the regulations will ever change in Broken Bow. Like I just think it's sort of a rural area in a conservative state and they like the tourists um, and the tourists bring money. So it, I, I, I was looking to do that 1031. Like I was looking at a lot of markets simultaneously and I just kind of landed on that property first. Um, it could have easily gone some other way. So it's not like I was specifically looking only at Broken Bow. It just kind of was like the timing of things. It worked out really well. Gotcha. And so how are you when you when you had that 1031 and you're thinking, OK, well, I'm going to look in multiple markets and, and try and get something nailed down. How do you choose which markets to kind of zoom in on and say, OK, well, these are the markets that I'm going to look in. What are your what's your criteria there? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I will say that like at some point I would love to have a beach house, but I'm 
still like trying to wrap my head around sort of like the insurance and tax situation and all of those markets and like the likelihood that there would be some sort of event that would prevent me from renting for like a year or two. Of course, we just had this in the Smokies as well with the fires recently. Um, luckily, I wasn't affected by that, but other people were. So it just goes to show you that no market is really safe um, from natural disasters. But um you know, when I'm looking, I'm looking for high gross numbers because I want it to cash flow. Like I don't want to, it's not worth my time to buy something that's only going to make me like 10 or 15,000 a year. Like even if I don't pay a lot for it, I don't want to spend my time, you know, getting the acquisition done, just, you know, getting it started up because I find that that just takes a lot of my time. I mean, in Lancaster and Scottsdale, those were unfurnished. They both needed work. It was a lot of time and money up front to get those up and running. Um, so, you know, I think that the high grossing markets for me, um, also something that I would potentially like to go to, I think is always a consideration as well. You know, would I like a place in Hawaii? Yes, I would love a place in Hawaii, but like realistically, I mean, I don't know how often I would get there from the East coast. So, um, I've really been co concentrating on the continental US so far. I would absolutely, you know, consider doing an international buy as well, as long as I understood kind of like what was going on there. So that might be a future move that I just haven't gotten to yet. The international thing intrigues me a lot, but I get very quickly overwhelmed by options and everything that you have to look at. And I just overwhelm myself to the point of never actually doing anything. And uh, one thing that you said that was really interesting to me is a you want to buy in a place that you want to go. So I know a lot of us, including myself, always preach like, you know, keep your emotions out of it. Keep this is not a personal buy, which is true, but it's OK to use a little common sense and go, oh, this is somewhere I want to go. I think other people want to go here, too. The data right. shows that other people want to go here. So it's OK to use some common sense and pick a place that you want to go to invest in. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think especially because I have, you know, younger kids, mine are a little bit older than yours. But you know, I can tell a family friendly area when I see it. Um, and I know how to cater to that market, because I am part of that market, right? Like, that's my exact demographic. Um, you know, and I also, you know, I use the air DNA data that short term shop provides. I also have the air DNA data for, you know, various locations that I personally pay for. Um, but I also think, you know, in addition to data, there is sort of like a gut instinct about some places and maybe you develop it over time. It's not always there, like immediately in the beginning. Like, I definitely don't think that I had it when I bought that duplex in Pigeon Forge, but I think that I know short term rentals well enough now to sort of like foresee what is going to happen with a particular area. And it's like not something I could really teach someone else, it's just something I have from experience. So, that is a really non specific answer to your question. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't do any better than that. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> that's awesome. So, let's talk about. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Is that how you say it or do you, am I saying it wrong? Yep. Lancaster. Yep. Lan Lancaster. Okay. My accent. Lancaster. So, <laughs> That's okay. Fine too. That's fine too. <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me about that market. I know nothing about it. So talk to me like I'm a three-year-old. Why are you choosing it? What's going on there? Yeah. So I'm trying to think of how I landed in Lancaster. So, um, 
I don't remember if we talked before that I was under contract at a place in the Poconos, which is also like somewhat close to me, like an hour and a half to two and a half hours away. Um, that one did not close like for various reasons that I had no control over, but I was looking to buy something closer to me in Pennsylvania that I could use as a second home in addition to having short-term rental. Um, I really like Lancaster, like Scottsdale. I am expecting that's going to appreciate over time. So for me, partially, it is an appreciation play. Um, I also happen to love the house, which I know is allowing me to get my emotions into it. But just looking around that market, um, there's definitely um, not a lack of like larger homes in the city of Lancaster. So a lot of what you see, it's an older city, you know, this is a, and this is a historic home, but a lot of the Airbnbs in that area are three bedroom, one and a half bath. And as you know, there's only so much you can do with one full bath at a property. Um, this one I just really loved because it has a lot of character and it's a seven bedroom, three and a half bath which I think will rent really well with wedding parties and like girls weekends and families coming to the area. Um, I also think that that city is on the upswing for a lot of reasons. It's just more affordable than a lot of the other East coast cities. And I think that more and more people are going to be moving there from like Philly and New York city and North Jersey and even Boston. Um, we have a, quite a few New York transplants moving to Lancaster right now. It's it's definitely an interesting place. I mean, it's a it's a city within a county, and the county is much different than the city. But there is quite a few tourist activities to do there. Um, I just think it'll it's definitely different from the other properties in my portfolio for a lot of ways. But I'm also expecting it to make like a ton of money when I get it on short term rental. It'll do okay as a midterm rental, but as a short-term rental, I think it's going to um, command a good nightly rate, especially on the weekends. Okay, awesome. So it's not so much a vacation destination as there are a lot of transplants moving in. They might be, you know, renting while they're looking for a house to buy, things like that. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I think for a midterm rental, it would be perfect for someone who's like home is under renovation and they need a place to stay um, <clears throat> or is moving to the area and hasn't found a house yet um, or, you know, is in which has sold but not bought yet. You know, there's a lot of situations. There's a lot of use cases for a midterm rental. Um, eventually, I would like to make it a short term rental because I think it'll just make more money that way. Um, but I don't have I'm still working with the city to get that license. And it's been you know, more complicated than I anticipated at the outset. Okay. So you are midterm renting while you're working on the short-term rental license? Yes. Okay. All right. Gotcha. So you are using this for midterm. So midterm or corporate housing is something that's coming up a lot lately. Are you doing a furnished midterm rental or unfurnished? No, it's completely furnished. It's furnished okay. quite beautifully, actually. Yeah. Okay. It's totally furnished. Awesome. And is that up and running yet or not quite? It's not. It's probably within the next week or so. Okay, cool. I'm interested to hear how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, and um, so why short term? You've mentioned that you've, I don't know if you have any right now, but you've had some long terms in the past. So what has attracted you to sticking more on the short term side than any long term properties? 
I mean, I think the cash flow is definitely better. I think that's what immediately attracted me to it, you know, when we connected on the Bigger Pockets forums um, way, way, way back in the day, it feels like now. Um, because my, you know, real estate investing was just something I hadn't really considered until I made that, you know, made changes in my life to become a realtor here in Pennsylvania. Um, I didn't really understand it. There's no way that I thought that I could self-manage a property from a distance. Like, I'm sure that that thought never crossed my mind um, in the beginning. But I think the cash flow is really what what keeps me in that game and what makes me, you know, sort of like wanting to buy more. Um, there is something, I think, to creating a place that people want to stay that is hard to get somewhere else. Like I do like that creation side of it as well. So it might be some of these are like a little bit of a vanity project, but as long as it cash flows well, um, in the end, that's always the goal, you know, for me and my family to have those multiple streams of income and, you know, to be purchasing things that are just going to make money year over year, every single year for as long as I want to keep them. Yeah, they're definitely more fun and they do hit that creativity aspect a little more yeah. than like a, a long-term or multifamily would. I, I hear that. Yeah. We, <laughs> we closed our biggest deal ever two weeks ago. It was 68 units at no partners. And um, I was like, oh yeah, this is really cool. This is cool. But it wasn't like exciting, oh, like, oh, cool. We got a new show. not exciting. Show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to post about it on social and I forgot to, I have to do that. <laughs> Um, but you know, that one's going to be a really great one for us. It's probably right. better than a lot of our, uh, short terms once we get it all rehabbed, but it's still like, just not as fun. It's not <laughs> as much fun. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> all right, Siobhan. So we are to the last three questions of the show. The first one is what advice would you give 20 year old Siobhan? <sighs> yeah. Um, that is such a hard question to answer because when I was 20, I didn't know anything about the way that the world worked. <laughs> I thought I did for sure. I thought I knew everything. I didn't even understand money really. Um, I didn't have a credit card. I had no major expenses. All I had to really do was like survive college. Um, yeah, 20 year old me. I think for me, I've always had some imposter syndrome and thought that like everyone around me knew more than I did, understood things better than I did. Um, and for years, like I ran on this treadmill of trying to do everything perfectly and feeling judged, you know, by those around me and also judging myself. I think if I could go back, I would tell myself that like, it's totally okay to make mistakes. Um, and that it's okay to just not care what other people think about you. Um, so it took me a long time to realize that it's 100% okay to take some sort of like leap of faith and just see where you land. Um, and if you don't land where you want, you make some adjustments and try something else, but you don't have to like see that whole path forward in order to start something new. That's really great advice. Along those same lines, what advice would you give? And this is a particularly good question right now because we're in, what is it, April of 2022 where we're, we're recording this. So there's a lot of uncertainty around uh, interest rates and things like that. So what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started right now? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's super cliche, but I think that the biggest investment you make is the one you make in yourself. 
Um, because if you invest in yourself first, then you have confidence in yourself, you know, to take that first leap, um, you know, to pivot, to make adjustments, reassess your goals, and just like keep putting one foot in front of the other and not get stuck on like any one thing in this process. But if you don't invest in yourself, like if you don't spend time asking questions, learning what you can, networking, you know, putting yourself in situations that may be completely uncomfortable, then you aren't really going to get very far in real estate investing or really any sort of like entrepreneurial role. Um, so you start really by investing in yourself. And the one thing I love about real estate investing is, you know, as you know, is you don't have to go to school to do it. Like most of this information is available on YouTube, on podcasts and in your book. So I would say start, start with that for sure. Also great advice. And speaking of books, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? <laughs> this was a really hard one for me too, because I draw my inspiration from a lot of places and it's not always just books. Um, so I'm going to say first, I think that The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday is something that everyone can benefit from, whether they're in real estate investing or something else. But um, I think that, you know, if you see challenges, not just as hurdles you need to jump over, um, but seeing those hurdles as the actual path in life, that it's a slight shift in mindset that's really powerful. Um, because when you're in real estate or, you know, doing anything in a small business, whatever, where you're constantly like problem solving, making decisions, having things come up that are unexpected, you know, the challenge is not just like this unexpected thing that's going to knock you on your, you know, um, <laughs> it is the actual path. So it's the only way. The only way is through. <laughs> So I do love that book. Um, the only other way I would, the only other thing I would say, I guess, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, you know, I don't 100% agree with Kiyosaki on everything. So that's sort of like, I'm kind of hesitate to say that. But um, when I read that book, I think it was kind of like a pivotal time in my life where I was not just trading my time for money, but I was also trading my limited energy for money. Um, and I felt like I needed to be smarter than that. Like I needed to make my money work for me as opposed to me just running on that treadmill, trying to do all of the things, you know, to make money for my family. Um, so I think that concept of making money work for you versus trading time for money was something I had never really thought about before I, I read that book. And then I kind of was like, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it was like a light bulb moment that a lot of people have uh, when they read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, that's why it's such um, a popular book. It is. It's such a popular book for a reason, right? Um, and that, that I think is probably the best part of it for me anyway. Awesome. Yeah, I, I've got to go back and read some Ryan Holiday. I've definitely been letting some work stuff hang me up recently and I need to go back and read some of his. Uh, well, the Obstacle is the Way and just the general stoicism yep. stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's a good reminder. Awesome. Well, Siobhan, thank you so much for coming. Uh, we yeah, really absolutely. appreciate you coming and having you on. And um, is there anything else you would like to say or put out there before we go? No, I think that's it. I mean, if anyone wants to find me, Instagram is probably the best place. 
I'm at Lower Marion Living, and there I talk about my local real estate market here on the main line outside of Philadelphia. And I also talk quite a bit about my short-term rentals. Um, so if anyone wants to connect with me there, that would be awesome. Because I always love networking with other investors. Me too. All right. Thanks so much, Siobhan. We'll catch you later. All right. Thanks, Avery. It was fun. Bye.